welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Hey everyone, how are you doing? It's great to see you here tonight. Please take your seats. Might just begin with a bit of prayer. What do you reckon? Just sanctify the atmosphere a little bit after that last little exhibition from some ladies who just remain nameless. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you that we can come into your presence and, and have fun because we're created in your image, Lord, and you're a, you're a God who knows how to have fun. Obviously, to create us, you've obviously got a sense of humor, Lord. And so, God, we honor you this evening. And I just pray that as we come around this time of... of Reflecting on who you are and looking at your word, you'd help every one of us to be open to what you've got to say through me. I pray that uh, for any that don't know you at this point in time, Lord God, that they will be open to the possibility of your presence coming into their lives, Lord. And so God, have your way tonight here in Jesus' name. Help me as I speak to perhaps leave out stuff that's not applicable and to even add things which I haven't even thought of yet, Lord. So lead me, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is great to see you here, and mindful that many are here because of our, our baptismal services, our baptisms are going to happen a little bit later on, and so I don't want to assume tonight that you all know what baptism is, even what Christianity is, or even who Jesus is, and so I'm going to share a little bit around some of those things in a little while. You know, we've been doing um, a bit of a series in our Sunday night's service just recently, and we, we looked at worldview. We looked at how what Christians believe differs from how many, what, what many people believe in our society today. We looked at the prevailing worldview. And we looked at the fact that by and large, there's this, there's this um, idea out there that you know, Christians obviously believe very much that God exists. But many people in our society today believe that God doesn't exist. Okay, So if they become your starting points, you've either got God exists or God doesn't exist. Well, from there, you've got to work out your view of how the world is going to work. And we looked at five areas. We looked at the, you know, the whole idea of origins. We looked at the area of identity, who we are, because that's massively impacted by whether God exists or whether he doesn't. We looked at the idea of morality and likewise, same. Um, are there absolutes um, in terms of morals or is it just really what, you, what feels good to you? Um, we looked at the idea of meaning. And again, if God exists, meaning is possible. Without God, really, no such thing as meaning being possible. And we ultimately looked at the whole idea of destiny. And as we looked at that, we, we, we looked at some of the arguments for and against whether God actually exists. And, you know, I think that atheists today are in a massive bind. The evidence is increasingly pointing away from, I, th- I believe it always has, but, you know, over the last hundred years or so, atheism did get a bit of a leg up because the church was silent. The church did not, uh, just thought that we had the monopoly of truth, we didn't have to justify our faith, we just believed because we believe, and didn't really take it to those who, who were t- you know, on, um, calling science into the argument. And it kind of, this dichotomy sort of came about whereby people thought, well, you've got science and reason and logic and facts, and then you've got faith and Christians, and you know, never the two shall meet. Well, really, nothing could be further from the truth in that statement. 
And there's some of the things that we had a look at. And in fact, all the evidence increasingly these days, the more that the jigsaw pieces are being found and put into place in the areas of science and philosophy and archaeology and historical studies and so on and so forth, more and more and more, for those that believe in a God, it's all good news. For those who don't, it's beginning to get a little bit scary. Because we are confronted, people are confronted with, if they will have the courage to go where the evidence leads, they're going to be confronted with the fact that this world and this universe was created by a God, a personal God. A God something like the one revealed in the religions of Judaism, Christianity and even Islam. Okay, a personal God. A God who is moral in nature, a God who is intelligent, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, etc., etc., etc. And so that's what people are confronted with if they're willing to follow where the evidence leads. And again, I haven't got time to talk about that tonight in any length, but we've certainly got plenty of um, previous sermons and those sort of things which you can listen to. But the question I want to have a look at tonight, because it always gets asked, why do you Christians think you're so right? I mean, why isn't Judaism true or why isn't Islam true? Because there's plenty of Jews and there's plenty of Muslims around the place. What is it, what's so special about you guys and your beliefs? Well, tonight I want to have a look at Jesus because he ultimately is what Christianity rises or falls on. But if Christianity rises, well then by default, Judaism and Mohammedism, or sorry, Islam will take a back seat to Christianity and to Jesus. So briefly, the Jews, if you read the Old Testament, it's a history of Israel, the nation Israel. And while it's a history, it's also much more than that. It speaks prophetically of their hope for the future. And in this, their hope, their prophecies speak about a coming Messiah, a saviour, someone whom God is going to bring into their world to save them from their problems and from themselves, ultimately. Okay, this, this Messiah, or the, the Greek term is Christ. Okay, it really, it really just means the chosen one of God, the Saviour. Okay, and so the Jews are expecting a Saviour. Christians are basically saying, well, Jesus is that Saviour that you're expecting. Muslims, on the other hand, are saying, well, no, Jesus is just a prophet. And so there's some discrepancies in what people believe about Jesus. And I want to have a look at a few things tonight that hopefully. Um, will clear up some of those things for us. And at least, if not totally answer it for you, at least create some questions in your mind if if you are confused or you have never really considered the fact that Jesus um, could be God, that you'll go away and start to think and and perhaps read the Bible for yourself and and ask some good questions. So tonight my topic and my sermon, my message is called Jesus, No Ordinary Man. So who was Jesus? Well, the first first thing I want to say about who Jesus is, is that he was a real man. A real man. What I mean by that is that he was just simply a historical figure. He did exist. He is not a mythical figure. Many people who have not considered it too much just assume for some reason or other that Jesus is actually a mythical figure. But nothing could be further from the truth. I'm going to read to you the first part of the the gospel, the book of Luke. And it simply says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also for me to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, 
so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. He goes on and writes about the life and ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's talking about not something that happened in some time far, far away in a place long, long, you know, a long way away and a long time ago, but he's talking about something that was very recent history. He was talking about something that he could interview witnesses about and follow up on, and he wants people to know the certainty of the things that were written. You know, our calendar today is a reflection of the certainty, the fact that Jesus lived. So that is not really in doubt. The only people that doubt that are people who, who are just ignorant. They just have not really asked and looked for answers to the question. You know, within 150 years of Jesus' ministry, 43 people, different people had written about Jesus' life. Only 10 had written about Tiberius, who was Caesar, at the time of Jesus' ministry, which is odd if Jesus was just an ordinary guy. Because when you think about it, he lived in a, in a bit of a backwater place, Okay, you know, the action, Rome was where the action was. Rome was the sort of the center of things. And here they are over in, in Israel. And you've got a guy who grew up as a carpenter. He wasn't part of the upper echelon of society. He didn't really have a lot going for him. And yet something about his life captured the attention of writers of the time. More so, four times as much, more than four times as much of the guy who was ruling the entire Roman Empire at that time. That's, that's a little bit odd to me if Jesus wasn't an unusual person. Second thing about Jesus in the sense that he was a real man is he was a wonderful and amazing teacher. He had an amazing insight and grasp of human nature. And again, this is something you can check out for yourself because you can read about the sort of things that he said in, your, in a Bible. You can get a Bible for yourself and you can read what Jesus knew and what he taught about humanity and about our failings, and about the, the struggles that we have, and about how we are called to relate to one another, and so on and so forth. You're not going to get any better psychology than that which comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus was a real man. He was a historical figure. The second thing I want to say about Jesus is this, that he was a spirit-filled man. In other words, he was a supernatural man. We read in Luke chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism where the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove and the words from heaven came and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so we see from that moment on, Jesus, after having lived 30 years of a relatively ordinary life, embarks on a ministry that is anything but ordinary. It's extraordinary in terms of its scope and its, and its dynamic and its power. Okay, so he lived life as a supernaturally empowered being. And that was testified by the fact of many, many miracles that he did. Um, and again, these things are testified to by the writers of the day. And indeed, some of those writers actually appeal to those who were, were, were recipients of his goodness through healing and so on to verify their story. Something you wouldn't do if we're talking about a guy who lived many, 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 many years ago, you know, before anyone can really remember, a little bit like Greek mythology. You know, you can't pin it down in history and you can say whatever you like when something can't be verified. But the Bible is not like that. The Bible can be verified. Jesus can be pinpointed in history. And in fact, these guys were saying, hey, look, it, it, you know, it's so close at hand that you can actually ask the people that were there, the people that were healed, the people that saw what went on, even perhaps people that were raised from the dead, and you can ask them about Jesus if you like. Okay, so Jesus was a, a powerful man, a, a spiritually empowered man. Beyond that, beyond the miracles and the amazing things he did, 
He was a prophet. He had supernatural insight. And again, that is without doubt. When you read what Jesus taught about, or what Jesus said, many of the things that he spoke about that would happen actually have already happened. And the things that haven't yet happened are the things that he sort of put in a category called the last days or the end of time. And so he prophesied, he spoke in other words about the future with regards to his own, the manner of his own death and his resurrection. Again, those things we'll find out in a minute were fulfilled. He spoke about the temple. One day he's walking through Jerusalem with his disciples and they're just going on and looking at this amazing temple. It's taken 46 years or something to complete. It was, it was a massive, impressive building. And Jesus, while they're just all being awestruck by the impressiveness of this man-made structure, Jesus says, hey, I'll tell you the truth, the day's coming when there's not going to be one stone standing on another. Within 40 years, that was true. People couldn't see it, and it wasn't even conceived of that you would do that. And even it didn't even make sense to destroy such a magnificent building. But the circumstances surrounding what happened, it ended up that the, was such that the temple ultimately was basically pulled brick from brick, massive stone from massive stone. You can read about that in the, in the writings of Josephus, who was an eyewitness of these things. So what Jesus prophesied would happen, happened. There's many things yet to come. Possibly we're already living in the midst of some of them. You know, Jesus talks about the raging of the seas in the last days and people, you know, getting all afraid and, and stressed out because of what's going on. He talks about earthquakes and wars and famines and wars and rumours of wars and so on and so forth. And again, those things, there's always been an element of those things in history, I'm sure. But it does seem in these days, there seems to be a speeding up of some of those processes that are taking place. And I think it's the grace of God, to be honest. I think it's God just not wanting us to proceed in our, in our blindness and in our apathy and our ignorance. And he wants to shake us a little bit in order that we might look up and ultimately be able to live through doing so. So Jesus was a real man. He lived in history. He was not just a man in the natural sense of the word, but he was a man who was empowered by the Spirit of God. His, his supernatural, the supernatural edge on his life was undeniable. But you know that Christians go beyond that. Because there are other miracle workers recorded in the Bible. There are other prophets recorded in the Bible. But the third thing that Jesus was is the God-man. And I want to quickly turn to John chapter 1. John starts his account of Jesus' life like this. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And he's referring to Jesus. He said, The Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We read down in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then down in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And then he goes on to give his account of Jesus. And Jesus, in that account, there are many times when he claims or alludes to the fact that he is himself God. We read in Matthew um, that Jesus presumed on behalf of God to forgive people's sins, which really, really got up the nose of the Jews of the day. Because they know that no one can give sins, forgive sins apart from God. If you Offend God? Well, who can forgive? Only God can offend, uh, forgive. And so Jesus forgives sins and, and, and they're getting a little bit 
irate about that. Well, he says, well, what's, what's harder to do, to forgive sins or heal a person? And so the guy who had actually come to him on a stretcher because he was paralyzed, Jesus heals him just for good measure to say, actually, there is something in the words that I've got to say. And the guys were astounded at the authority that Jesus exercised. And that authority extended into the natural realm in terms of we see accounts of Jesus actually having authority over the wind and the waves of the natural elements. We see that Jesus had authority over spiritual beings. We see that in his life he used terms that were reserved for the Saviour, the, the person that the Jews were expecting, the Son of God, the Son of Man. You know, these things were, were, were things that Jesus began to apply to himself. And again, the, the, you know, the Jews are just gnashing their teeth, thinking, this guy is blaspheming. What is this guy doing? We've got to kill him. You can't talk about God like that. And ultimately, whether you believe it, whether you know it or not, that, that is why Jesus died. He died for his claim to be God. He was crucified for that very reason. From the beginning of Christianity, Jesus has been worshipped as God. There is not a time between when Jesus lived and a later time, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 1,000 years later, where Jesus was just thought to be a good man and a good teacher, possibly with a supernatural edge. From the very beginning, Jesus was worshipped as God after his crucifixion and resurrection, which we're going to get to now. Because ultimately, these are the, this is the evidence. This is the thing that is, to me, is going to tip the scales. Because many people can have good lives and, and many people even have um, some sort of ability to connect supernaturally with the spirit realm and to be able to move to some degree in that realm. And again, that's not outside of um, what the Bible teaches. The Bible does talk about an unseen realm. It just says that some of that realm is good and some of it's evil. And so Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a miracle worker. But he was a man who did wonderful miracles, yes. But he was a man who prophesied that he would be killed and in three days he would come back from the dead. There's no doubt that the tomb was empty on the third day. We've just come through our Easter season. It's something that we as a nation celebrate. It's something that we as a church looked at. The whole idea that Jesus Christ died on Friday, arose on Sunday. There's only two options there. It either really, Jesus really rose from the dead, or there was some funny business going on. Tone, I think, just did a wonderful job on Sunday, um, Easter Sunday, and encourage you, if you want to know more about this particular part of it, of just talking about some of the possibilities. You know, there's only a few possibilities, and, and you know, you're not going to come up with anything new. <laughs> 2,000 years of people trying to argue the case for an empty tomb, and all they've come up with is really three or four arguments. You know, the tomb, um, you know, that Jesus wasn't really dead and somehow woke up and scared off the guards or whatever. Um, you know, the fact they went to the wrong tomb, the fact the disciples stole the body, the fact that the Romans stole the body or the Jews, that's all you've got. Because you've got an empty tomb. So it's either one of those things is true or Jesus really did, after three days of his body decaying, suddenly get infused with life and come back to life again. That's the only options we've got. 
Kona's spoken about some of those things. And again, I encourage you to get the MP3 for that. But everyone knew that Jesus was dead. Everybody. The disciples knew that Jesus was dead. They were despondent at the fact that Jesus, they weren't expecting him to come back. Maybe some of the most faithful in their heart of hearts had some hope, but it was a vain hope, really, in their thinking. They, they, were, they were basically given over to the fact that Jesus was dead, and they were probably next. But I want to look at not the evidence for that, which Tony's already covered. I want to look at what happened beyond this claimed resurrection. Because to me, I think that speaks so powerfully of whether this was just a hoax or a sham or whether Jesus really did rise from the dead. You know, the birth of the church speaks powerfully, I believe, about who Jesus was. Fearful people, you read the book of Acts, you start in the book of Acts and you know, by this time Jesus has come back from there. He's been witnessed by over 500 people over a period of the next 40 days or so. And we see that fearless people, fearful people, people who, who almost were afraid of their own shadow. We see Peter just before Jesus was crucified when he was arrested, you know, denying Jesus three times. And yet we see in a very short period of time, his life is transformed. He's, a, he's, he's willing to stand up in front of a massive crowd in Jerusalem and accuse them of being basically a bunch of murderers. And, and thousands of them gave their life to God. Something happened. This wasn't the confidence that comes from stashing a body somewhere. Serious. Think about it. Put yourself in that situation. Your hope has been killed. Some brain box comes up with an idea. I know what we'll do. We'll steal the body and pretend that he has come anyway. Because we'll get all the perks of religion. You know, persecution, our family killed, possibly, you know, etc. Because et that's what they got. This is the start of the church. Can I have the first two... Rose, stand up here, please. About a dozen, thereabouts, not quite, but a, bit, a few more. But, you know, that's the amount of people that Jesus worked. This was his close group of followers that he was entrusting the church to. Probably around about the same age. That's what Jesus started with. If we got the whole front row to stand, that's, that's the extended group. They're the faithful ones. When, you know, in the upper room, about 120 people there when the Holy Spirit fell. It is not organised religion as we know it today. Grab a seat, guys. Thanks. But, you know, a lot of people, they're suspicious of religion. They've seen 2,000 years of church history, church abuse of the truth and all that sort of stuff. And they've seen, they've seen man's... Uh, Human nature and selfishness get involved in the deal. And yes, there's been some rip-offs. And yes, there's been some exploitation. And yes, there's been some, some abuse. And yet there's been a whole bunch of stuff. But that's not how it started. It didn't start like that. It started with a group of people whose hope had been killed. Who had no power, had no authority in their society. They were just a bunch of guys that had been gathered and, and, and really didn't know what to do next. That's all they were. And yet somehow a transformation took place in their life. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you guys to do this thing. And he sent them out into the whole world to preach the gospel. And they actually did it. They actually did it. To me, that says something went on. Something where these guys were not, not thinking there was a body somewhere. We just don't know where it is. These guys had, I believe, the encounter with the risen Christ. Look at the life of Paul. Paul wasn't one of those original guys. Paul was a guy who was 
steadfast in his Judaism. He was, he was, a, he was a, a Jew amongst Jews. He was a guy who was fervently committed to wiping out the Christians. He hated them. He hated what they stood for because he, he, just, he just believed the, the Old Testament, if you like, with all his heart. And he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he believed that those that were saying he was, they were just blaspheming, they deserved to die. And so he put his energy into that pursuit. He's on the way to Damascus one day, gets knocked off his horse, bright light shines and he says, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you, Lord? Has an encounter with the risen Christ. His life is never the same again. He goes on to be one of the pillars of the church. He writes most of the New Testament. He has his head cut off for what he believes. Something happened. Something happened. This is well after that initial period of, you know, where's the body? Jesus' family. Jesus' family is interesting. Because they were converted, certainly his brothers, they were converted after his resurrection. His mum obviously was there, you know, the angelic visitation, the virgin birth, all that sort of stuff. But his brothers, his family, you know, the Bible records that they, they actually at times tried to just grab Jesus and take him away because they thought he was out of his mind and just making a fool of himself and embarrassing the family at the same time. There's a massive change. We read that in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. You can look that up yourself later. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Paul specifically records just before his encounter that, that, that um, James, Jesus' brother, one of his half-brothers, if you like, sons of Mary and Joseph, son of Mary and Joseph, that Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. James went on to become the, church, the leader of the Jerusalem church. He wrote the book of James in the New Testament. He also was killed for his faith. He starts his book off. Let's, let's go there quickly. This doesn't sound like a brother to me. Like a normal brother, anyway. I mean, I like tone. But I wouldn't start a letter about him like this. James or Peter, a servant of God, of the Lord Tony Rainbow. I wouldn't do that. James did it about Jesus. James had grown up with Jesus. They grew up in the same house. They, they, they nursed at the same breast. They would have had the same friends. He, he knew his brother intimately and for 30 years. He was just the goody two-shoes. He was just the one that was really hard to live up to the expectations that he created. He was a pain. And when he got into this ministry thing and began talking to people, and man, that just got ugly. But then he saw him after he'd seen him crucified, after he knew all that went on, and he had an encounter with him. And he goes from being Jesus, my older brother, to Jesus, my Lord, and I'm just his servant. We read in Acts chapter six, chapter six, verse seven, it says, and many priests became obedient to the faith. Again, the enemies, the ones who were part of the religious group responsible for the death of Jesus. You can't have it both ways. If, the, if they had the body, why would guys become Christians from that sect, that group? Doesn't make any sense. But something happened. These guys knew what was going on. They knew the stories. They, it wasn't something that happened in a corner. The whole, the whole area was abuzz with what had been going on around this Jesus character and those that were claimed to be his followers. 
Because the church was out there spreading the good news. Jesus, who was dead, is alive. He died for our sins. He's alive and he wants to save the world. That was the message. And many Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. Because they put two and two together. The Old Testament is full of prophecies about Jesus. And they did their homework. They did their research. They could see that one plus one equals two. Ah, Jesus. He is the Messiah after all. The rapid spread of Christianity despite persecution. It doesn't make sense if it was a hoax. It would not happen. That amount of people versus the Roman Empire and the rest, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. There are no perks. Like I said, you didn't get a company car for being a pastor. You didn't get any of the so-called perks that people talk about. You got misunderstanding, persecution. I mean, Paul was whipped. He was stoned. He was beaten. He, it was all bad, just at a natural level. But he was just committed to that cause. For the joy set before him, he said, because I am so convinced, I know that Jesus has got my back for all eternity. And I'm committed to this thing. And so were all the other disciples. And so were men, women, and children throughout that area and throughout the ages. Once they had a hold of who Jesus was, they would hang on like mad. Despite the fact that people were being fed to the lions, burnt as streetlights, all sorts of nonsense was going on to try and stamp out this, this group that seemed to be a threat to the Roman Empire because it was spreading so rapidly. Just as an aside... You compare that to Christianity and Islam, this is another reason why I'm convinced of the truth of this. You know, people look today and they say, well, there's lots of Christians and there's lots of Muslims. Obviously, those two religions have got, both got the same amount of stuff going for them. That's a logical statement. Until you look into it and say, okay, Christians were sent out by Jesus basically as whipping boys, basically to just, you know, turn the other cheek just take whatever comes, just absorb it and continue to love. That was, that was all they were given to go with and the Holy Spirit, obviously, to empower them and just keep them going for another day. That was the message of Jesus. Yes, there's been stuff done in the name of Jesus. Yes, there's been crusades and all that sort of nonsense. But we've got to come back to what did Jesus actually teach about stuff? Because if people aren't doing what Jesus said, well, that just, that, don't blame Jesus. Don't get that mixed up with the true church of Jesus Christ. So in the early days of Christianity, there was a good chance that you would be killed for your faith. In the early days of Islam, it was very different. There was a very good chance you'd be killed if you didn't become a Muslim. Muhammad tried it the way that Jesus tried it. It didn't work for him. He was getting nowhere. Until he began to get, made some alliances and he began to get some, some oomph, some military might. And then he began to get some momentum. There's a massive difference between the spread, early spread of Christianity and the early spread of Islam and now both have got traction, but their origins are massively different. There's the encounter of billions of people throughout the last nearly 2,000 years. People from all backgrounds, people of all different culture types, because what Jesus taught, what Jesus said works for humanity. There's a universal problem for humanity. There's a universal solution. That solution is the person of Jesus Christ. Our problem is sin. Our problem is separation from God. We've offended God. We've messed up. We cannot help ourselves. But Jesus came 
to deal with the sin problem and bring forgiveness to our lives and to empower us by giving us the Holy Spirit to help us to live the lives that we've always wanted to live but never been able to. The people getting baptised tonight are not just aligning themselves with an idea. They are not aligning themselves with a philosophy or a religious teaching. They are aligning themselves with a person. The risen Jesus Christ. For those who give their lives to him, for those who yield their lives, acknowledge that yes, he is the saviour of the world and yes, he is the boss of the world and I need to get myself right on both those counts. They discover, not just in a theoretical sense, but they discover in a practical sense that God is real, that God loves, that God helps, that God comforts and so on and so forth. And so that's really what we're here for tonight. I hope if you have come and thinking, what's Christianity all about? You've got a little bit more of an idea of why we get so excited when we dance and sing and shout and all that, because it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And I hope that, that what I've shared tonight makes sense. There's no, really, is there any other excuse? Is there any other thing that could really justify what happened after Jesus' death? He either rose from the dead or his body was hidden somewhere. There's, that's the only two options we've got. If his body was just hidden somewhere, there's no way that those other things would have taken place. The fact they did take place says to me that Jesus definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, has risen from the dead. And one of the things he said is just as he's going, he will come back. And he will come back to judge the living and the dead. He will come back to put things right and basically to draw up the line. There'll be those who are for him, those who are against him. And beyond that, there'll be a separation. So I'd like our, our if we could have our guys that are getting baptised, we could come. And prepare to do that. That would be excellent. These people this this evening have come from different backgrounds. There's different ages represented. Different religious expressions and experiences represented. Some may have gone to church younger, earlier time in life. And it was just religion to them. It wasn't a relationship with God. But they've come into a relationship with God. Others are younger but believe that Jesus is Lord and is Saviour and that they need Him in their lives. Some will have been baptised, no doubt, in other places, perhaps as babies. We don't practice infant baptism here. We believe that one of the crucial elements of becoming a Christian is that you make a decision for yourself, that you have an understanding of who Jesus is and that based on that understanding, you give your life over to God. And this is this is the symbol of that taking place. This water represents several things, I guess. Water often represents cleansing and certainly there's a cleansing element when we come into a relationship with God. It represents a separation from the past. In the Old Testament, the Israelites went through the Red Sea and they were separated from their past slavery in Egypt. And they had a whole vista opened up before them, a whole new life of opportunity. That's what this represents as well. But it's an identification also of Jesus' own death, burial and resurrection. And so these guys are coming in here and they're, in going into that water, they're saying, God, I am dying to my old life, my, own, my old life of selfishness, my old life of doing it my way rather than your way. 
and I'm trusting that you're going to bring me out the other side into newness of life. I'll be under new management. I'll be able to live a life and wanting to live a life that will please you and honour you and ultimately be responsible for seeing many other people come into a relationship with you. So that's what baptism's about, really. Just to sum it up in a nutshell. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.